We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. For boosted parlays to live in-game offs on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit winbet.com. That's W-H-N-N-Bet.com to start winning. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined as always my co-host Nick Pilato. Today we're going to break a little bit from the team previews, though those are going to continue to come. We'll still get to the positions, but we wanted to take a look at a few things. The first thing I wanted to take a look at was a salary cap study done by Brad Spielberger, who in my opinion is probably at this point the premier salary cap guy. He is with PFS. He has some background with over the cap as well. Really like the stuff he does. He took a deep dive into a three-year analysis for the salary cap for the Giants and all 32 teams moving forward. And we've heard a lot this offseason about, oh, the Giants were in cap hell. Well, Joe Shane really got them out of that fast. And as we'll see as we dive into it today, Nick, they're actually in the opposite of cap hell moving forward. They're in cap paradise if that's what you would want to call it maybe because their cap situation over the next three years is fantastic it truly is and so something to be excited about when you look at this team moving forward in my opinion at least and again i will go into this as we touch in touch on this nick but being in quote-unquote cap hell versus quote-unquote cap paradise to me is more of a grain of salt thing than anything, then I, I don't put the value on it that some others do. I mean, you could just look at what the Saints have been. The Saints have been in cap hell since 2012, right? The F- Eagles were supposedly in cap hell last year, and all of a sudden they're not. And all of a sudden they're able to do things like trade and extend, trade for an extend AJ Brown. So again, let's not go too crazy over, but it's definitely a good thing for the Giants, right? You don't want to be in the position they were this offseason. So we'll talk about that. We're also going to talk about a redraft to the 2022. NFL draft class that Pro Football Focus did, another writer for Pro Football Focus. We will talk about who they picked for the Giants, who we might have picked at that pick, and just other picks that went down. It's the 2020 draft where the Giants had one first-round pick, and we'll just be going over the first round in this. And then finally, we're going to take a look at 
another piece of article that uh, or another piece of content that Brad did, Brad Spielberger, the 32 best value contracts in the NFL heading into 2022. I'm just curious to get your thoughts on those contracts, Nick, where they stand, if they pave the way for the Giants re-signing any players or making any of those contracts. Spoiler alert, the Giants will not be named on that. Giants do not have a single good value contract on the roster. Besides Nick Gates, if he could ever get healthy again, that would be good value, I think. Uh, all right, Nick, enough of that. Enough of me. How are you doing today, my friend? I'm doing well. I'm not shocked about the about the Giants' current cap situation. If you go back last year, remember what Kevin Abrams said? He said 2022 cap, is, <laughs> it's going to suck. It's essentially what Kevin Abrams said. But he alluded to the fact that after 2022, there's going to be plenty of decisions that the Giant regime was going to have to make. But the cap situation cleared up. And the moves that Joe Shane has done since assuming the role as the general manager over Dave Gettleman has really helped facilitate that. And now, again, there's a lot of free agents that the New York Giants are going to have to make decisions on going into the offseason. You have Blake Martinez, Daniel Jones, Saquon Barkley, all these players. And you've got to make decisions on some of them, you know, and a lot of it, I think, will depend on how they play this season. So some of it might be a little bit murky, a little bit undetermined. But as you said, yes, the overall cap can be overanalyzed sometimes, but having a much healthier cap situation is definitely much better than being in cap hell. And in terms of the Saints, too, the Saints were in a win now mode for so long with Drew Brees and Sean Payton that they could just keep kicking that can down the line. Unfortunately, the Giants haven't necessarily been in that situation for quite a bit. Yeah, and you do have to appreciate that. Even last year with the old regime that made a lot of mistakes, I think that's pretty clear and obvious at this point. For some reason, it was debated for a while, but you know, ultimately ended in the result of what was originally expected. And despite their struggles and despite the mishaps, they didn't totally kill their entire cap situation moving forward, right? There were other ways to get to a position where they could have killed this gap. They could have re-signed Saquon Barkley earlier in his career. Obviously, injuries kind of made that impossible. But let's say they made a move like that or just kicked the further cap cam with guys like Leonard Williams, which they could have done to create more space. There's all sorts of ways they could have further complicated their cap situation for 2023 and 2024, but they didn't do that. And so that's where we get to today, a really healthy cap situation we're going to break down via Brad's salary cap analysis. But I do want to make it clear, and I know you know this, Nick, but I want to make it clear to the listeners. One of the reasons the Giants are in such a good cap position moving forward in 2023, 2024, and then 2025, as this looks into, is because they don't have a lot of good players in the roster. It's an unfortunate reality, but it's the truth. They don't really have any good young players signed to long-term deals. Actually, they don't have any good young players signed to long-term deals unless you qualify Leonard Williams in that, who's A, isn't on a long-term deal, and B, isn't necessarily the youngest player in the NFL, um, at, though it is a position that has a decent uh, shelf life and good longevity. But that's part of the reason. The Giants just don't have any contracts basically on the books long-term, the exception of... That really, is there anyone they have on the contract long term? I mean, you could you could maybe look to adore Jackson's contract, but that's not even considered long term at this point, right, Nick? The Giants really are in a very flexible position from a from the from the cap standpoint, in large part because they don't exactly have a lot of players <laughs> signed to long term contracts right now. Yeah, and I want to posit this too because it can be controversial. But I remember when Dave Gettleman was the general manager. We applauded him when he gave the contracts to James Bradbury and Blake Martinez, not just because they were good players who were going to upgrade the team and help Patrick Graham's system, but because they weren't at the expense 
of later years down the line. A lot of those contracts, if I'm not mistaken, they were all like three-year deals and they were deals that weren't going to compromise the decisions around Saquon Barkley and Daniel Jones and a lot of the younger guys on the roster. Kevin Abrams and Dave Gettleman initially, they were doing it. I don't want to say a solid job because they poured so much money into the 2018 to try to fix and make that year competitive. So that wasn't a great decision. But then I felt like they became a little bit more judicious with how they levied some of their contracts, right? And then there was 2021. That was just, we need to win this year because we're so desperate. And that, again, I, I feel like was a mistake. But do you think there's any merit to that? Because when you look, and we're about to go over all of this, the current cap situation, it's not like Dave Gettleman other than Kenny Galladay, really gave these contracts to just totally implode this current team moving forward. Yeah, there's definitely merit to that. They, they, You said it best, Nick. They took a different strategy. They took a different route. They had these midterm type contracts, even like you said, with James Bradbury's deal. It's hard to call it a win when Bradbury's cut, obviously, and when yeah. Galladay is in the position he's in right now. And we're going to get to that in the wide receiver preview, but I heard something pretty troubling on the Galladay front that I would like to bring to your attention when we talk about the wide receivers. But Rudolph, another horrific signing by Gettleman. So it's hard to really give too much credit for this. And even Dory Jackson, great player, but wasn't on the field a lot and was injured last year, the year before he joined the Giants, and was injured the year before that. And so until he really plays a full 16 twice in a row, let's say, like you got to give us Bradbury kind of like availability. It's hard to call that a win, too. So really, it was just throwing a lot of money a lot of guys, but at least, like you said, he kept it short term. So it's not like we're down the line with this seven year, eight, you know, hundreds plus million contract for Galladay and a seven year, hundred must for, you know, for Adori deals you can't get out of because you push the cap hits back and you kept prorating that money. As we'll see when we get to the total prorated money for the Giants, they've done a good job of not prorating too much either, which is really good. And they had to prorate some, they had to push back some of this Adori deal because they were just in such a bad spot this offseason. Even with cutting Bradbury, they still had to prorate that Adore yeah. deal because of where they're at. So, and that's not Shane's fault, obviously, and that's not—it's not a good thing on the previous regime. It is what it is. They went all in on last season. Uh, they felt like they were in a position to go all in and and you know take their lumps in 2022. But none of these deals are really going to impact the Giants long term at this point. And it really opens them up to a position where if they hit on Thomas and they can extend him and he stays healthy for this, you know, he doesn't have to start to have injury problems. If they hit on Neil, if they hit on some of these other players, McKinney, that they're, that really are showing promising signs, those could be your core guys. Those are the guys who you then say, all right, here's a six-year deal. Here's a seven-year deal, whatever it may be. Then you start to be like, okay, we're into this cap position. It's not as healthy as it was, but we also have one of the best young tackles in the NFL and one of the best right tackles in the NFL, young right tackles in the NFL. One of the best deep half safeties that's young in the NFL. And that's when you start to build a winning roster, obviously. And that's where we're headed, hopefully, with the Giants. I feel pretty good about those three. We'll see about some of these other pieces as well. But the good news is all of them are still in position on their rookie contracts where, you know, you are, you can wait you can wait and see if they continue to develop at this pace. Absolutely. And another thing about the Kenny Galladay contract and why it was horrendous was, according to reports, I'm obviously not there, I don't know, Dave Gettleman was kind of negotiating against himself. And when you're doing that, I mean, that's just a horrific way to do any sort of business. Yeah, and it's not even just the reports. I mean, no one offered him a long-term deal. The only – we heard a rumor the Bears were interested, but that seemed like BS just to bring Allen Robinson. Oh, wow. yeah. yeah, yeah. And, 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 and you know, I've heard the contrary, that, that he quite, in fact, was bidding against himself on the Galladay deal. Um, now, we'll get into why on the receiver pocket because I heard something pretty troubling on that front. We'll get into why that may have been the case. But, yeah, I mean, look, the it, it, 
Galladay, when healthy, if healthy, I'll put the if, I like him and I like and I don't hate the contract, even though it's an expensive one, because as you see from the deals that happened this offseason, Nick, Christian Kirk, you know, it's just one example. There's countless others. Galladay gets, you know, after, you know, factoring in all those new deals, Nick, Galladay's contract at this point, his price point is more of in that wide receiver two range. And I think he can return a lot of value while being like the 15th highest paid wide receiver or something along those lines. Right. Like, I still think he has the ability to be a really, really good at worst, back end wide receiver one, wide receiver two, if healthy. That's the key. That's what we'll get to on the wide receiver podcast. Don't want to spoil too much, but you know, there's stuff to talk about on that front. But as we look at their overall cap situation, Nick, let's take a look at some of the research that Brad did. And according to Brad's research, the Giants, the New York football giants, are number one of all 32 teams in active draft capital. So, what is active draft capital? You ask, right? Here's how they criteria here's the criteria uh for their active draft capital so brad said we converted rookie contract player er, no every rookie contract player currently on each team's roster into their fitzgerald spielberger value in the same manner timo risque in a- analyzed each team's 2021 draft capital to weigh the value of each player for example number one overall pick jacksonville jaguars edge defender trayvon walker would be worth 3,000 points on this scale the Jaguars have the third largest draft capital investment on their roster currently, trailing only the Giants and then the Jets. This aims to capture the, both the value of players that have not played an NFL snap yet, like Walker, as well as each team's total potential for surplus value from those rookie contracts. The NFL rookie wage scale made draft picks more valuable than ever before. Not only are you adding quality young talent, but you are realized, but you but you also realize significant savings as compared to the veteran player market. So this is what we know, right? If you have these rookie contracts, if you have players who are young, so they get the value of having the youth, and they're on that rookie deal. Well, with this new scale, as Brad mentioned, and this was because back in the day, Sam Brad, like the Sam Bradford year, there was no rookie wage scale. So Bradford negotiated like an $80 million signing bonus. It was like immediately one of the highest paid quarterbacks in the NFL. That can't happen anymore. There is a scale. And what that does is that makes these value, these draft picks so much more valuable when you hit on them. And right now, according to this active draft capital and that, you know, factors in something along lines, I would assume Nick is like that Jimmy Johnson type chart, but I'm sure it's a different value chart of what each draft pick is worth from a, from a number standpoint, from a value standpoint. But right now the giants have that in, you know, Kayvon Thibodeau, Evan Neal, all these players they've drafted in recent years, Kadarius, Tony, all their, their, their second and third round picks, everything of that nature on the roster right now. And so that's exciting. It just means the giants have a lot of young, high draft capital talent on the roster right now. Playing on those rookie deals, not yet, not yet extended. Yeah, and they're like thirty-two hundred points more than the New York Jets, who are sitting there at second. But it's really not a shock because you still have Saquon Barkley on the roster, who was the second overall pick in twenty eighteen. You have two of the three first round picks from 2019 still on the roster. One was the sixth overall pick. The other was the 17th and Dexter Lawrence. And obviously the sixth was Daniel Jones. And then you had, as you said, KT and Evan Neal this past year with Andrew Thomas as the fourth pick. So that's a lot of high draft capital there. Yeah. Dex. I I mentioned Dex from from 2018. No, it's good. So it's a product of the Giants sucking, and it's also a product of the Giants having, and as we said, and we've criticized Dave Gettleman for this because he had a lot of draft capital, a lot of high draft capital, a lot of high value assets, and it never resulted in 
wins. Now, it might have resulted in, you know, a good football player, Andrew Thomas. He's a pretty good football player. Dexter Lawrence, he's a solid football player. You know, Xavier McKinney in the second round, that's a good football player. But the Giants have never been able to collectively put it together and translate that into wins. But still, the fact that they're number one in active draft capital gives you some glimmer of hope that they have enough talent on this roster, young talent, unpaid talent, that you can quickly turn around the trash that we've seen recently with the new coaching staff that can help actualize said young talent. And I think that's what we're all hoping for at the moment. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 100% Nick, because look, the fact of the matter is this, no matter what kind of cap space the Giants have in 2023 and 2024, and they have a lot of it, because like we said, there's not any big veteran contracts. They don't have many big time good veteran players on the roster. No matter what, you can't fix a football team through free agency. We've seen that countless times. The Giants have been, you know, have fallen into that trap occasionally. The football team fell into that trap forever the last decade. Having all that cap space is nice, but it doesn't really help. What really matters is active draft capital and then realizing active draft capitals. First, you got to get the active draft capital. Giants have done a great job doing that. They're literally first in the NFL, according to the study, in active draft capital. Then that active draft capital, you have to realize that. That's the there's really only one path to winning in the NFL, as far as I'm concerned, as far as building a healthy long term roster outside of ob the obvious one, which is finding a quarterback. If you don't get the quarterback. You have no chance. And that's obvious. And if you get the quarterback, you can make you can patchwork a lot of the things that you weren't doing well, in my opinion, at least. But having said that, the only really long term solution for what has been proven, tried and true is 
having active draft capital, collecting active draft capital, acquiring it, and then realizing it. So the Giants are in the stage right now of acquiring, and they've done a great job of that, to be completely honest. They have, like like we said, number one. And we could just, we, you went through the players, Nick. There's a lot of talent named there. Even the guys that have struggled, like that were first-round picks. Daniel Jones, uh, Saquon Barkley at times has struggled. Last year was a really bad year for Barkley. Of course, injuries playing a factor. Dexter Lawrence has been pretty meh for a first-round pick. Whatever. Even factoring in just those guys as secondary guys, the Thibodeaux, as you add to that, the Thomas, the Neal, and you can throw McKinney in here because he's proven himself to be worth more than what his draft capital was, in my opinion. Like, he would be reevaluated. If somebody was to reevaluate, where should his draft capital be? Well, it would be even higher than it was factoring into that. So they've done a good job of the collecting part. Now it's the realization part. Daniel Jones, Dexter Lawrence, a lot of these other guys have to realize their talent. And obviously then the Giants are going to be a really good football team. I think that's the clear path. But either way, even if they don't get anything out of those guys, they're on the right path because even if you just get half of those to hit, you're still in a better position than a lot of these teams. As we realize, we're ranked lower here, like very low on draft capital. The Houston Texans, for example, 28th in active draft capital. That shouldn't make sense, right? They've been in a rebuilding process. The Vegas Raiders, 26th. The Los Angeles Rams, obviously, they're 30th. That makes sense. Um, they've been trading away all their draft picks, but the Bears, 29th. So the Giants are in a better position than a lot of these rebuilding teams as well when it comes to active draft capital. Especially when you look at their 2022 to 2024 effective cap space, and that's just how much cap space they're actually going to have to spend because the New York Giants, they're second. They rank second, and I think that's important because you might say, okay, well, they're Number one, an active draft capital. They don't have a lot of big contracts and they rank second. So, you know, a lot of teams who who might suck like the New York Giants are probably up in that same area, like the Jets or the Jaguars. And that's not the case. The Jags are 26th right. in effective cap space and the Jets are 15th in effective cap space. So what this says is with the New York Giants being number one in active draft capital, they have all of those young players. If those young players prove themselves within Brian Dable's system, within the philosophy of what the 2022 New York Giants can do, then the Giants have the money to retain them, as you said before. And that's the best way that you can build a foundation around your team. So you can spend on free agents. You don't give them huge contracts, similar to what Joe Shane did with Mark Lewinsky. And this is in the first year of this rebuild. You can go out and give mid-level deals to players that will fit your system. And then you can re-sign the Xavier McKinney's. You re-sign the Andrew Thomas's. Hopefully Daniel Jones, if he really balls out. But, you know, that's a conversation for another day. Just the Giants need a quarterback, obviously. But the Giants right now, according to those two categories of this study, I mean, there's not a lot of teams who are in a better position. Now, this is a lot of roses right here that we're kind of hurling at the Giants. And there's a lot of, you know, context that kind of goes with it. But just with these two things, effective cap space moving forward and active draft capital, Giants are in a good spot. And they work in conjunction with each other, as we said. 100%. You nailed it, Nick. And it's a lot of roses, but it's it's well-deserved. I mean, I really think that Joe Shane and, and, and Kevin Abrams, everyone who played a part in it, did a good job cleaning this thing up in such a short period of time. Like, no team compares to what the Giants have from a cap health standpoint moving forward. Again, as I said, cap health isn't everything. I want to make that clear. Put it in perspective. This is one thing we're talking about, one factor in the roster rebuild we're talking about. More importantly is the realization of talent. I totally understand that. That's everything. That's 90%. Maybe this is 10%. But it's a big... but. When you're doing really well in that 10%, it sets you up to be in a position to win that when you actually realize and actualize the talent, you can, you like you said, Nick, you can afford to pay. Like, no team's anywhere close. The only team that's anywhere close to the Giants is the Patriots, who have the eighth most active draft capital and the fourth best effective cap space, the fourth most effective cap space moving forward from 2022 to 2024. 
That's eighth and fourth. The Giants are first and second. You mentioned the Jets. Well, the Jets are second in active draft capital. They have a lot of good young talent, but only 15th in cap space. They've spent a lot of money and they have a lot shelled out and prorated, you know, for other teams. And then you look at maybe a team like the Falcons. They're somewhat close to the Giants too. Seventh most draft capital, fifth most uh, projected cap space. But after those teams, the Patriots and the, and the Falcons, there's nothing really close at all as you look through this list. And like you said, these two things, Nick, they work in conjunction. So it's really, really good. The Giants are in this position right now, I think, as we look forward with their effective cap space going forward and their active draft goal. And why is their effective cap space going forward so high, Nick? A lot of it is because they don't have a lot of prorated money moving forward. So what is prorated money? So prorated money is this. When you convert the money in a player's contract to a signing bonus, that prorates over a number of years. So most typically, you'll see this in signing bonuses. So once you do that, you can no longer manipulate it for salary cap purposes. So these are truly sunk costs on the cap. So unlike any kind of guaranteed salary, you know, that are effectively sunk cost cash amounts, but you can still be altered from a cap uh, accounting standpoint, this cannot. So teams have to work around these sunk costs. They're you, you commonly probably hear these as dead cap, and that's that's what it is. It's dead cap, and it, it, it limits your ability to kind of have flexibility and freedom with your roster. And the Giants own are 14th in prorated money. So obviously it's not perfect. They're not top five, not top 10, but it was almost impossible to get anywhere. This is as good as it could have gotten with what Gettleman did, you know, what they left them, because they prorated a ton of money, the, the, the past regime, especially last year. And so even this year, they had to prorate a little money just to get under the cap this year, as we mentioned, with the Dory Jackson contract. That's where I think a lot of this is coming from, Nick, uh, and somewhat the Leonard Williams deal. But it's a good position to be in, Nick, because 14th is fine here. For example, the Eagles are 32nd in prorated cap space. That just shows you how much money they've spent already. Um, and then the Saints are 31st. So those are the two teams right now who have the most dead cap moving forward. The Giants are in a much healthier spot than they've been in a while here. And again, it goes to the fact that they don't really have a lot of long-term contracts. And yeah. they were, and when Joe Shane came in, he said he did not want to kick the cat can down the road. That was something that he made a point of, and he had to do it with the Dory Jackson because the Giants were in such a horrendous cap situation at the start of the offseason. But I think Joe Shane, he's going to come in here, man, and, and that's going to be his philosophy until he starts to bring in his guys. He doesn't want to sacrifice the future. And why would you when you're the New York Giants right now, unless you're very desperate like Dave Gettleman and Joe Judge were? There's no reason to because the New York Giants aren't necessarily a roster, or at least they haven't proven to be a roster where they can compete for a Super Bowl at the moment. So why keep kicking the cap can down the road for the now and then, and then hurt yourself in the long run. Exactly. Nick. Now let's take a look at the top 51 veteran valuation on this roster. So what that is, is or sorry, I just said is twice. What that is, is a total valuation. And I did it again of all players on each club's top 51. So this excludes the 2022 draft picks. I wanted to look at this Nick because a lot of the valuation on this giants roster currently right now, is literally Evan Neal and Kayvon Thibodeau. We're going to be completely honest about the situation. They're they're the two best or second best at worst, if you want to put Andrew Thomas first, assets on this roster. They're one and two. They're certainly, for me, ahead of a McKinney type. So this is kind of the snapshot of the current value of the roster under the 2022 market conditions. This is according to PFF, not a forecast of what they could theoretically cost on the open market. So according to that metric, the top 51 veteran evaluation, the Giants are just 28th, so that goes into a lot of what we've said. They don't have a lot of veteran money tied up to veteran players on this roster. For example, Eagles are 6th, Saints are 8th, 
Cleveland Browns are first in this, but a lot of that is because that Watson contract. Uh, the Bills are fourth. They really made a move in that direction. Um, so, yeah, I think what you see is, and the Bills are a great example of where you want to get to, I think, Nick, because they're 27th in effective cap space and 27th in prorated money and fourth in veteran valuation. So it's like, look, they finally were like, we, we we played it safe with the cap. We played smart with the cap. Now we can go out and spend. They did. They got guys like Von Miller uh, and players of that nature. So the Giants in this regard, just 28th uh, in veteran valuation right now. And I, I think that kind of is self-explanatory, correct? Yeah, it's self-explanatory, and we kind of already touched it throughout this entire podcast. And I think you're also right just about the Bills. I'm glad that Joe Shane came from Brandon Bean because I feel like the way they constructed that roster, the way they went oh, out good. and they, they drafted Josh Allen, it was a little, you know, I guess you could say troubling at first, but they trusted their process, and he really ended up just hitting his stride under Brian Dable. They acquired, the, the free agents that they acquired, they were smart contracts, like I said, and then they go out and they get a Stefan Diggs. So they also traded. They, they acquired talent to make their roster the way it is, a very, very talented roster in a variety of different ways. It's so they just have such an open mind to roster construction. And I just I, I have the same feeling, man, that Joe Shane is going to carry that into New York. And we've already seen elements of it so far. I'm so excited for it too. I mean, look, I understand in my head deep down, Nick, that if Shane doesn't ever locate a quarterback, let's say Jones isn't the yeah. guy, if he doesn't He's just going to get screwed and he's going to get caught up and bunched into all these other potential quote unquote fail. It's just unfortunate how much of this sport is just luck boxing into a quarterback. And I do consider it a lot of luck, to be completely honest. Like, I mean, there were five teams that could have taken, what was it? He went six overall. There are five teams that could have taken Justin Herbert, including one team that took a quarterback over him. Like, if you redid that draft, I don't care what quarterback is currently on any of those first five teams. They're all taking Herbert and they should take Herbert. And it's it's really hard to locate this position. The Burrow, Burrow is that's yeah. I mean, you I can buy, but that's another that. lockbox situation, yeah. right? Though, Nick, because the Bengals boxed into having the first pick the year he came out. The Colts boxed into having the first pick the year luck came out. Like this in a lot of ways is also luck box to me. Because it's not like these teams are tanking, or we don't think they're tanking, at least. There's obviously been some speculation. Some teams around the NFL have been tanking of late, but the thought process is they're probably not tanking. And so it's like, it, it, it sucks that it just comes down a lot to finding that player because there's very few of them. And they, I think we both agree and have made it clear they mean almost everything to to your long-term success as a franchise. And obviously, Brandon Bean, like you said, he did a, they did a great job of it, Bean and Shane and everyone involved there. They... They located Allen when a lot of people didn't like Allen. They bet on traits. They said, we're going to be able to fix all of the issues that plague him as a quarterback right now. We don't care. The ceiling is still the highest, and we can have him realize that ceiling within our program. But like you said, Nick, they did a good job of building the foundation and the program around him. It's not just all Josh Allen. It's a lot, Josh Allen. It's not just all Josh Allen, though. So hopefully that can, you know move forward with the Giants as well with Shane. But we, we know there's already signs, as you mentioned, Nick, of them moving in the right direction, right? There's not a lot of prorated money. They have a ton of effective cap space and a ton of active draft capital. If you just take the quarterback's finding out of the situation, Nick, he's done a great job so far, and he's shown signs of doing things the right way. Yeah, and who knows what the right way will be in like three years too because the NFL is really evolving at such a rapid rate. You see these teams, like take, take the Rams for instance – 
they kept competing for the Super Bowl. They went to the Super Bowl. They lost in New England. They couldn't do anything offensively. Sean McVay's ripping his freaking hair out of his head. So he goes, screw it. I'm trading Jared Goff. I'm going to get Matt Stafford. They win it the first year after doing that blockbuster deal. Now you see the Broncos trying to replicate that with Russell Wilson. So the whole trading quarterbacks, these, these big name quarterbacks, quarterbacks have more mobility. It's more of an NBA field than what it used to be in the NFL, where it seemed like, you know, trading star players was a little bit more of a novelty, a little bit more. Obviously you had like Herschel Walker and, and all these trades from back in the day for, for running backs, Ricky Williams, but who knows what it's going to be like in two years? And the Giants, they could trade for one of these veteran quarterbacks if 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 one comes available, if they can't find a long-term solution, if Daniel Jones doesn't work out. Two great points you just made there, Nick. One, uh, both I want to expand on. Let's start with the, with the one you brought up, which is, yeah, the Giants are going to be in a position. I don't know if anyone will come available. There was kind of a I, – I feel like it's Stafford came available, then Russ. It, I don't think that's going to happen every year. Really? Not like either do I. Of, yeah. Yeah. Especially because a lot of the good quarterbacks right now are younger players, with the exception of Rodgers, who already said he's going to like resign. He's going to play out his career in Green Bay. So when you look around it, like there was Ross, he's gone. There was Stafford, he's gone. There was Ryan, if you consider him, which we probably don't on that level. And then there really aren't too many. A lot of the next best quarterbacks are, you know, the Allens, the Herberts, the Mahomes, the young guys of the world that are never moving teams. Uh, unless you want to throw in Lamar Jackson with that, which is a whole nother story because he's, yeah. he's going to be a, a free agent next year. But at least as of now, we'll see what happens there. But my point being, there may not be the supply for it, but the Giants are certainly set up to be one of those teams that can do it. Look at what the Broncos have to do. They didn't have to give up a single clear-cut, amazing, active draft capital type asset, right? Noah Fant, right? They gave up him. But Noah Fant, I don't think you can – he was more so in – really when they traded him, he was probably at the point of where Evan Ingram was at that stage of Evan Ingram's first-round draft capital, first-round draft journey, whatever you want to call that, right? Like, I know Noah yeah. – I we would both agree Noah Fant is a, was a better prospect coming out than Evan Ingram in a lot of ways and just about every way. But having said that, they hadn't really proven much at that point when he was traded. So they didn't. it's not like they had to give up an Evan Neal, right? It's not like they had to throw in, oh, we have to put in Xavier McKinney and first-round picks. So if the Giants, one, does open up, you know, if someone's unhappy with this situation, all of a sudden – the Giants become a team with this kind of active draft capital, with this kind of effective cap space. And potentially, if they don't improve as much as we would hope this year, with another good draft, you know, more good draft capital to trade as a team that can do it. And so that's really interesting to me, Nick. And I think it puts them in a good position as well. Because like you said, the Rams have proven it works. We'll see if the Broncos can kind of, you know, put more evidence behind that. But I do want to mention something you also said about how the NFL is evolving and changing, Nick. In some ways, the Rams are also redefining how to rebuild a roster, like how to build a roster out, right? And how to win. Oh, yeah. Because like you mentioned, I think back to that Super Bowl they lost against the Patriots, where it was like it was like 14-9 or something weird like that. It was such a low-scoring game. The Patriots just schemed the hell out of them. They just played a certain style of defense that destroyed what the Rams wanted to do schematically offensively and then just grinded out a win, which was classic Belichick, just you know, just an awesome job by him. But after that, a lot of teams would have been like, all right, let's use our draft picks, rebuild through the draft, get a lot more young contracts going, and try to win with that roster. They did the total opposite, the Rams. They've traded all of their draft picks. They have no draft capital whatsoever. They're right now, what are they, 30? They got to be 32nd. I'm taking a look right now. I'm almost positive they've got to be 32nd in active draft capital. I couldn't imagine. Uh, where's 32? No, it's actually the Saints, but 
they're all the way at 30th in active draft capital, the Rams. And they traded away all, most of their first-round picks, second-round picks. And so they've gone a different round as well, trading for veterans, Stafford, Ramsey, all of those players as well. So that's also an interesting thing just to think about, like, you know, the Giants are in a really healthy cap spot right now, and they have a lot of their draft picks, all their draft picks. They have um, good draft capital, but maybe it's a situation where, you know, they might find themselves in a position at some point where they want to try that route too. And I, and, and normally in the past, we might knock them for it and be like, this is such a stupid decision. You can't trade your draft pick. Now it's like, you got to be more open to that possibility of a different way of, you know, building a winning roster. I find it very fascinating what Les Steed has done with the Rams and just how he's just like draft picks. They're just, they're overvalued. And he's come out right. and said that like, I'll value a draft pick. Yeah. I like draft picks. I just don't like them as much as other general managers. And I will go and get the proven commodity. I think it's a, a, a totally interesting way to build your roster, and it's paid off. They won a Super Bowl, so you know credit to Les Snead, credit to the Rams organization for for doing that. And they'll probably still be competitive, man. I mean, they still have Jalen Ramsey. If Aaron Donald does play this year, you have Aaron Donald, you have Matt Stafford, Sean McVay. I mean, geez, man, that's a it's a lot of talent right there. It's a lot of smart future Hall of Fame type of players and coaches. Yeah, you're right, Nick. And it's opened my mind up, too. As it, I know it's opened yours. It's opened mine, too, because, look, yeah, there's the Cowboys example where they they signed a lot of players they probably regret, and they had to ultimately let some players walk. Byron Jones first, and Amari Cooper, who they had to trade. Uh, Lel Collins, who they had to just outright move on from, get nothing back from, which I still think is going to haunt them. That's, to me, their biggest loss this offseason over Cooper. But there's also example of, you know, that needing to re-sign some of these rookies that they draft. And that's part of the reason why they're in that position. The Rams are essentially removing that step, right? They don't have to re-sign any rookies or any young players to massive deals because they don't have any crazy capital rookies. And they're not paying them on that first round rookie scale either, which also helps them do things like go out and sign Bobby Wagner somehow after <laughs> extending Aaron Donald, extending Jalen Ramsey, Matthew Stafford. It doesn't even make sense to me how they've done their cap situation, but they've done it and they've made it work and they figured out a way. The Eagles are another good example of that when they traded for AJ Brown this year, the old me Nick would have been like steal for the Titans. This team's so dumb. They have to pay AJ Brown. They could have just had a first round pick. He's under a cheap rookie deal. Easily the win. The old me thought that Nick, the new me, I'm not so sure because I don't know that Traylon Brooks is not, is going to be an amazing player. Traylon Brooks could easily be a bust. Anyone they draft there could easily be a bust. These first round picks don't work every single year at every single pick. But we know AJ Brown is under 25 and is a proven alpha dog out there. I think he has the best uh, created the best separation on the 10 to fit in the inbreakers uh, seven to 15 yards last year, just an apt and like a, a full half yard or something crazy ahead of most of the pack. He's an absolute beast out there. And so you knew that when you got him, there's no denying. You don't know for sure with the Burks type. So, I'm all, I'm more open than I've ever been to kind of training, especially when I know it's like what the <laughs> this cap situation. The Eagles were supposedly in a bad cap situation. Well, then how do they acquire AJ Brown? The Rams were supposedly in a bad cap situation. Well, then how do they sign Bobby Wagner? The cap stuff and Allen Robinson too. and Allen Robinson. So it's like I'm gonna worry less about having to pay these guys and trade for them, and they're on their non rookie deals. And I'm just more let, let's acquire talent. And so that's something the Giants will have to figure out a way to do, obviously, as they move forward. But just an interesting thought process there. There's different ways. One last thing before we wrap this part of this up, Nick. I want to talk about the 2023 unrestricted free agent valuation. So this is kind of a metric that aims to 
rank who has the best free agents about to hit free agency. Giants just 20th on that. So you mentioned all the names earlier, Nick, um, but the Giants are only 20th on that. So that's a, a good sign, too. They don't have too much. I guess that could be considered a good sign or a bad sign. I don't know how you what you would consider that, but they don't have they are, they're not going to be losing out on too much this next offseason. Now, the main names, as, as I mentioned earlier, Saquon Barkley, Daniel Jones are probably the two. And then you have Blake Martinez, right. Sterling, Sterling Shepard falls into that. And then it's like a bunch of like Ricky Seals, Jones, Matt Breedas, Justin Ellis, Max Garcia, guys like that. Yep. All right. Let's just wrap this up one more by just going over to the visions. Uh, the rest of the teams are in a division. I'm sorry. The Cowboys have the 20th most active draft capital, the 19th most effective cap space and they've prorated they have prorated a lot of money down there they're 26th there they have a lot of money prorated there um and honestly according to this at least their top 51 veteran valuation just 24th best in the nfl so i guess they're not they're not a big fan of where their situation is that the eagles we went over and then finally the washington football team who i can't find on this chart because i guess they've they're, they're number two they're number okay. two yeah yeah the 17th most active draft capital 12th most effective cap space and don't have much prorated money either less than the Giants so they're in a pretty good cap situation too the the commanders obviously they and that's with the Wentz contract so that's actually pretty interesting um I would say for sure but they did lose Sheriff this offseason so that I, I still think that's going to be a bigger blow to them than people have really discussed so we'll see what happens there but they're obviously in a pretty healthy spot moving forward as well Nick according to the overall chart the cap health rank for the overall chart the Cincinnati Bengals are the number one team. I think that's important to put out there. And it makes sense. You have Jamar Chase. You have Joe Burrow. They're on rookie deals. You have T. Higgins, who's on a rookie Oof. deal. And they didn't Bills. blow them. Like, they, didn't, they didn't just blow all their money in free agency. They signed a lot of competent guys to to reasonable deals, like Lyle Collins and Ted Karras and, and players like that to really help build that offensive line. So they ranked number one in the cap health rank. The New York Giants were ninth overall in the cap health rank. Yeah, and that obviously, as Nick said, factors in like the top veteran, uh, 51 veteran valuation. Number two is Washington, then New England, Indy, Chargers, Jets, Dolphins, Ravens, Giants. So only other team in the East, at least, was the football team. All right, let's have some fun, Nick. We They decided to redraft the 2020 class. Here's how it went if they were doing it today. The Bengals take Burrow again, obviously. Or maybe not obvious. We'll get to that in a second. The football team, no Chase Young. They go Justin Herbert. So Young's still on the board. The Lions go Justin Jefferson. So Akuda is still on the board, obviously. Now the Giants were up. Who would you have picked? And then we'll go over who they picked. Also, were you surprised by any of the first three picks? I'm not surprised by any of the first three picks. I mean, I think you can make arguments for the Detroit Lions probably go with several different guys like Chase Young. And I know he's injured. I, I know there's, you know, a lot of okay, he's not as good as what we expected. I don't fall into that camp. I think Chase Young is a stud when he's fully healthy. But I would go with what PFF went with in this situation, and this is Ben Lindsay's article, and that is Tristan Wirfs. Because what we know now, as much as I love Andrew Thomas, I think Tristan Wirfs has a longer track record. That first year was really solid of him being a very good NFL tackle right from the get-go. Andrew Thomas, I feel like right now, is a good NFL tackle. I think he can easily get to very good, but I would have to go with Tristan Wirfs at four for the Giants if we were redrafting 2020. Yeah, my only surprise in the first three picks, Nick, is not a surprise, but I would definitely consider Herbert over Burrow if I had to start a roster right now, and I, I think I would lean Herbert. Where do you lean Herbert or Burrow if you're starting a roster today? Jeez, this is a, this is a really interesting conversation because Justin Herbert from an arm talent perspective from a velocity arm strength 
Justin Herbert is, I would say, superior to Joe Burrow. And I think Justin Herbert has the it factor. But we know Joe Burrow also has the it factor. When that guy gets hot, he is almost unstoppable with some of the throws that he has made throughout his young career. The fact that he was able to come into the NFL in his second season after a devastating knee injury in his first season and take his team to the Super Bowl with a bad offensive line. I mean, credit to Joe Burrow. I I can't knock the Bengals for going with Joe Burrow here. I think it's fine. So I would go, I think I would go Herbert. I think Burrow actually has more of an it factor than Herbert by a considerable margin. But I think Herbert actually might end up being the better processor when all is said and done. When a lot of what Burrow has accomplished, in my opinion, so far has been in a specific setting. So that setting being up-tempo when he's allowed to run that no-huddle type stuff spread, which they're going to be able to do his whole career. But I like some of the advanced stuff I've seen on film from Herbert. His ability to process defenses to me is a next... I've seen a lot of next-level processing plays from him, independent of what he can do from an arm talent standpoint, where I think we both agree, yeah, the arm talent is better than Burrow's, not to knock Burrow's, because Burrow's got great arm talent. But And, girl, and Burrow might be the better anticipatory thrower. But Herb, some of the mental processing I've seen from Herbert on film has been next-level type stuff from him. And for that reason, I'll pro- I'd probably go Herbert there. But at four overall with the Giants, did you have anything there? Or should I move to the Giants pick? I didn't want to cut you off if you did. No, I don't have anything. Okay. I, I can understand where you're coming from. I think I would just stay put with the, yeah. the quarterback who took his team to the Super Bowl. For in the sure. I, and I totally get that. <laughs> Most Bengals fans would too. So it's a close one there. But at four, I'm also going Tristan Wirfs. Love Andrew Thomas, but I, I personally don't subscribe to the, ah, oh, Tristan Wirfs is only good because Tom Brady's his quarterback argument. No. I mean, if you ask any of the guys who, as Nick said, who watch the film on these guys, the real offensive line gurus, they tell you this is one of the best young tackles to enter the NFL in the last decade. And he has, I mean, the stats paired out too. It's not just the film. He's the lowest pressure rate allowed of any tackle, including, you know, the Trent Williams is of the world, the Tyron Smith, of the world, the Lane Johnson, of the world. Over the last two seasons, that's insane. No tackle has a lower pressure rate. He's also good in the run game because he's super athletic. No knock on Thomas. Thomas is a great player. I'm happy to have him. If I could do it over again, I would definitely like Nick take Tristan Wirfs. Then Chase Young came off the board. AJ Terrell, who's been just a shutdown corner, really good pick by the Falcons. Antoine Winfield Jr. That's an interesting one to me, Nick, because I, I don't I don't suspect we'll see. Uh, Xavier McKinney anywhere listed on this list, but we do see Winfield all the way up at seven, who was selected, I believe, one pick after McKinney, if I'm not mistaken. Is that correct? Uh, I, I believe so. It was around that area. Here was around, maybe it was a couple picks after McKinney. We were both insanely high on Winfield. I remember in that draft. I think at the time, both of us would have gone McKinney over Winfield. We didn't expect McKinney to be there. I did also love Winfield, though, and I didn't have that same kind of love for McKinney. I just kind of defaulted almost to McKinney in a lot of ways, had a lot of versatility, came from Bama, had a lot of snaps at a high level. I love Winfield coming out. He's been unbelievable in the pros. He has that knack for the ball. He has that NFL pedigree that I think plays a big role in it. If you could do it all over now again, would you agree with PFF and go Winfield over McKinney, or would you still take McKinney? I haven't really watched much of Winfield's game from the, what I understand about him. He's a he's a good football player, a very smart processor. He's physical. He's a little bit undersized. I liked Xavier McKinney more coming out of the draft, and I think I'm still going to lean towards Xavier McKinney. I still think he's scratching the surface of his immense potential, so I'm going to go with McKinney over Winfield. But, uh, again, like I, I watch so much more McKinney than I have Winfield. Yeah, it's, it's fair. That's the same thing for me. It's hope, so hard for me to do this because I've only really watched McKinney. It's easier with a worse versus Thomas thing because worse you just know. Like the stats bear it out, 
And this for McKinney, uh, for the McKinney Winfield thing, it's kind of just like going off of PFF grades. I'd rather not go off of that. I'd rather go off of pressure rate. And I'd rather go off of the film gurus who are like sitting there, you know, Brandon Thorne's the world and telling you uh, Tristan Wirfs is unreal on film. That matters a lot more to me than maybe like an 85 PFF grade for, for Antoine Winfield versus whatever it would be for David McKinney. So I probably think you're, I, I just because of what we know, I'd stick with McKinney. Then CD Lamb came off the board at eight. T Higgins at nine. That would have been fun. Somebody taken. Finally, Andrew Thomas comes off the board at 10 overall, which I think is too late. I might take him over the Higgins of the world, but I get it. Then Jed- that's, to the, that's to the Browns, by the way. And T Higgins was to the Jags at nine. CD Lamb was to the Cardinals at eight. And then the Panthers was who went with it, Winfield at seven. Yeah. And then uh, they, they have the Jets going Jedrick Wills instead of Mekhi Becton at 11. The, Viking, uh, the Raiders going Michael Pittman instead of Henry Ruggs. That was a disaster pick. can't believe they took him over CeeDee Lamb. It's crazy. Um, if anything, go Judy. Like, I had Lamb as the wide receiver one in that class, but I can see the case for Judy. But how, how do you get It's a copycat that? league. That's why they did it. It's a copycat league, and they had to play Tyree Kill twice yeah. a year, and they're like, let's find our own Tyree Kill and this really fast receiver from Alabama. And Henry Ruggs, he wasn't a terrible receiver coming out. It obviously didn't work out, and then everything that happened, that's just an absolute disaster, and it's tragic. But right here, I think it's interesting. Michael Pittman Jr. or Jerry Judy – I think I guess you go with Michael Pittman Jr. He kind of had that breakout year, but Jerry Judy was kind of hampered with injuries. I feel like Jerry Judy could be in line for a, a breakout season this year with Russ and Arnold in the football. I'm 100% taking Jerry Judy over Michael Pittman. If I could do this all over again, I don't care what they've done so far in this career. I'm, 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 I'm not with PFF on this one. And I know Jerry Judy is dealing with something off the field. I don't know if it's going to result in a suspension or anything like that. So that's, I guess, a, a conversation for – for another day. But then we had the Buccaneers go with Makai Becton. The 49ers go with Legereus Sneed. And I love Legereus Sneed coming out of the draft. So I love to see this player, this undersized player from a small school, jump into the first round. And then the Broncos, instead of going with Jerry Judy, go with quarterback Jalen Hurts. And I wanted to ask you what you feel about that. How do you feel about Jalen Hurts sneaking into the top 15? So first I want to talk about Sneed because that's just a – I don't want to pat ourselves on the back too much, Nick, but we love Snead in that class, both of us. We really freaking love him. Look at how good fourth round, dude. I went know. to the fourth round just because he went to Louisiana Tech. And because he was undersized. Just those two things. That was literally it. But by weight, like I, I believe yeah, he's six foot. Weight. Yeah, he's he like hundred like, he's got length. Yep. Yeah, he was like 180 pounds, though, and that was like a concern. But I, I don't know. I, I like this tape. And he, People he thought he would be a, a tweener, player. too, between safety and corner, but it just it this tape was great and, and he had the athletic traits and it sucks because we liked him a lot, but it doesn't matter. They the good pick by the it's the Chiefs who got him, right? Yes. Of course it's the Chiefs. It's always the Chiefs. They've been dominating the draft for the last two or three years now. But as far as the mid rounds go, they've been filth just been destroying things. This is Creed Humphrey. I mean, it's list goes on and on. But as far as Hurts at 15, I don't think either me or neither me or you would do that. I wonder here's what I'll say about Hurts. I give kudos to the Eagles. They found a second round quarterback who Took them to the playoffs in year in his first full year starting, or yeah, his first full year starting. Took them to the playoffs. Obviously, couldn't get them any further than that. But as far as that goes, I mean, it's hard enough for teams to find a first round quarterback who can take a team to the playoffs in their first two years. Some teams don't even find first round quarterbacks who ever take their teams to the playoffs. Second round, it's few and far in between. You got Drew Brees, got Derek Carr, and there's like nothing else. So I give them so much props for locating this, for understanding how the NFL's changed, for understanding the value of a run first quarterback in a zone read heavy type offense, for understanding the value of a quarterback who can throw off platform, all of these things. 
but I still don't love what I've seen from Hertz from an, you know, on platform standpoint, right? From when he's in the pocket, from when he's in structure and that type of stuff matters so much more in the playoffs. We seem to see every year. A lot of people say it's because of how defenses adjust in the playoffs. I think a factor that, that isn't often discussed in this, but is important is because the weather is so much worse at that time of the year. So non-natural throwers of the football and I do honestly feel like Hertz is not a great thrower of the football, struggle more in inclement weather conditions than they do earlier in the season or in domes. And so I think that's a factor in it as well. I don't think I would go with Hertz here at 15 overall, but I don't hate the pick either because he's already gotten to the playoffs in year two. And obviously this is a big year for him, but does do things that help you win football games, in my opinion, but also again, does things that hurt you too. So, you know, he the th- interception he threw versus McKinney against us wasn't great. So, you know, it's it's a complicated situation. I probably lean against it, but I kind of understand it. Yeah, I think I'm in the same boat. And interestingly enough, he goes over to a tug of Iloa who ends up going a little bit later, still sneaks into the first round. But Tua goes to the Miami Dolphins, ironically enough, at their 18th pick where they actually selected Austin Jackson in the real draft. Oh, yeah. So and then that which is interesting because Austin Jackson's kind of been the guy that we thought wouldn't make it. And he's been a little bit up and down, started off great. But a pick that I thought was interesting at 16 was Michael Onwenu, who is that even its name? Onwenu? I think. So, uh, right? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. Who the Patriots obviously found a way to get and he's amazing offensive lineman. Now he's going at 16 overall. Just crazy what the Patriots can do with these offensive linemen. And dude, it's nuts. This was a sixth round pick and it's not like he was from Louisiana tech or some no name school that was under recruited and under looked at. It was from freaking Michigan. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Like it's, they, they do such a good job developing offensive linemen. Talking about him in the pre-draft process. Weren't we saying he was an upside guy? Uh, I don't necessarily remember a hundred percent on if we were, but I, I, like, like I you were saying it. I don't, but I, don't, I might be wrong. It might, I think it was just one of those size speed. Like he's just, the Patriots just find a way to take these guys who are counted out, but have the ability to play and just find a way to get the best out of them. Yeah. They do an excellent job. Crazy. at. I mean, Dante Scarnecchia was the man, but he's not even there. I think he's there now as like a consultant, but he's yeah. not even the offensive line coach at the moment, but I, I like exercises like this to kind of reflect. And this is the 2020 draft was my first draft that I covered professionally. So I I'll always look back to this draft and be like, Oh, well that was my first draft. Like Andrew Thomas was the first draft pick that I covered professionally uh, while, you know, covering the New York Giants. So I don't know. I'll always, I guess be linked to this draft a little bit more than others. Yeah, it's cool. That's definitely a cool thing too, as well. Um, all right, just to wrap this draft up, Trayvon Diggs went to the Cowboys at 17 instead of CeeDee Lamb. They end up getting Diggs, actually, in the real draft in the second round. So, obviously, they did a good job on that. Dolphins take Tua here at 18 instead of earlier in the draft. That's meh to me. I mean, I, I was never a huge Tua guy coming out. So, to me, I just didn't – I. I felt like when I was watching him at Alabama, he, that he took massive advantage of just ripping slants and anytime he threw downfield, he really had to throw his whole body into it. I hate his I hate his throwing motion, and I don't like his arm talent overall. So we'll see what happens with Tua. But last year, like all these numbers are people are pointing to, like, oh my God, have you seen his adjusted completion percentage on these routes? I'm like, yeah, dude, they were <laughs> they're just running RPOs all you know, all game. Like, of course, this is great completion percentage. He's just ripping slants. Like, I don't I just don't understand the stats argument on Tua. Where are you at on Tua? I'm curious. We don't talk a lot of Tua. No, I think Tua has dealt with injuries throughout his career, but I'm in the same boat as you. I was never a huge fan of, of Tua's arm strength, and 
and his overall profile. I didn't hate him coming out of the draft. I didn't study the quarterbacks as intently as I would have if the Giants didn't just select one in 2019. But I, I, I tend to lean towards your side on this. I think his arm is limited and you have to design an offense around him to move the football. That is, I don't want to say gimmicky because the RPOs are kind of everywhere right now, but I don't know if you'd be able to operate other offenses as well as he can operate an RPO offense because of his physical limitations. And he's going to be asked to this year. That's the interesting part, right? Like he's going to be asked to do the, basically the, the classic Jimmy G the hit your back foot and rip the ball off play action. And, and that works when the, it's so defined, it works a lot for the, for the 49ers. It's worked. I mean, you even saw some stretches with Mullins decent there with the other dude from Iowa who I'm forgetting now. CJ uh, Bethard. Bethard, Yeah. who was decent for a little bit there. I mean, that system does breed decent quarterback play a lot. I mean, I think it's made, Jimmy G's entire career. I don't like Jimmy G at all as a quarterback outside of that system. Personally, I think he'd be very, very bad outside of that system. Um, but can Tua do it? We'll find out. Taken uh, in 19 overall, Christian Fulton, the corner, instead of Damon Arnett. Can't believe this. The Raiders had Arnett and Rugs in the draft. Just incredible. And you talk about Dave Gettleman as the worst GM. I think Mike Mayock deserves, despite finding Max Crosby in the fourth round, which was amazing, he still deserves to probably take that mantle as far as a drafting, uh, just from a draft standpoint goes. Um, then Jonathan Taylor at 20th overall, the Jaguars. Uh, Claypool at 21 to the Eagles. That's an interesting one. Jalen Johnson, 22. Derek Brown, the interior guy, at 23. Brandon Ayuk, 24, to the Saints. Robert Hunt, at 25, to the Niners. That one, I guess, has worked out better than people hoped for. Uh, Darnell Mooney, at 26. Anything else interesting on this? Finally, McKinney comes off the board. I didn't even see this first time I looked through. 28 overall, the Ravens end up taking McKinney. Yeah, no, and the Seattle Seahawks took Jeremy Chin to pick before them. So now nothing too much to really read in. I think, well, actually, I know that there are a big contingent of Ravens fans who really wanted McKinney. Ken McCusick said that on our show when we brought him on, somebody who covers the Ravens. He said he really wanted Xavier McKinney, but they ended up going with Patrick Queen, and he doesn't really appreciate Patrick Queen as much as maybe some people do. I do think Xavier McKinney would fit in very well with what Wink Martindale wants to do, and now we get to freaking see it, so I'm excited. Yeah, for sure. All right, Nick, let's wrap this up by looking at some of the best contracts right now in the NFL, according to Brad Spielberger, as far as value standpoint goes. The number one in the NFL right now, according to him, is uh, and this one shouldn't be a big surprise to everyone, Jordan Maialata, the Eagles. Man, this is so annoying that they did this. It's so sad that the Eagles figured this out. They took this rugby dude, six foot eight, three fifty, and they just turned him into one of the best tackles in the NFL. They were so screwed without him because Dillard hasn't been that good. Peters is retiring and done, or he didn't retire. I think he like had some really sad snaps with the Bears last year. Do you remember that Jason Peters played a little for the Bears last year? I do remember that. It, it was wasn't sad. wasn't too pretty. No, yeah, Jason he's Peters. Done. Is, yeah, he's been on the decline for a while. I think the one, I guess, saving grace uh, for for people who hate the Eagles like us is the fact that they did use high draft capital on Andre Dillard and it didn't work out. Now, obviously, I don't want the kid to to not have a successful career. I hope he goes on and he has success. But it's not like they spent that pick on like a wide receiver or somebody who is having a lot of success on their team. And then they found Jordan Mailata late in the draft on a seventh-round freaking pick, which is still insane to me. So I guess that's one thing we could be like, well, they did spend high draft capital on the position. That didn't work out. But then they were able to hit a little bit later in the draft. Yeah, and it's not even like they hit. It's like they hit on one of the best tackles yeah, in the no. NFL. That's, That's the annoying. problem. That's the big problem there. Um, 
but that's the best. They give Mike Evans five-year, $82.5 million, the second best. I guess it's just so cheap right now for for where uh, these receivers are being valued. Darren Waller, that's another massive deal. Four years, $29 million. He definitely regrets that he signed that one. I think he was looking for a new one. Um, guess who's at number five? A former Badger, baby. Did you know he was a Badger? Who? Let me scroll down to see. Robbie yeah, Havenstein. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Great pick by the Rams, yeah. by the way. I think it was like a fourth rounder. Dude, it's kind of nuts, too, just to circle back to Mike Evans. Right now, he has the seventh highest total value on contract. And when you look at his average annual value, he's way down the line. I mean, Kenny Galladay has a higher average annual value. Tyler Lockett, Christian Kirk. Yeah, it's insane. I mean, the the, the market has been totally reset. It's part of why we saw what we saw happen this offseason with Adams, with Hill, with A.J. Brown. Um, but I, I do want to correct something. Havenstein was actually the 57th overall pick in the late second round. But I remember a lot of people were skeptical of him coming out out of Wisconsin, and he's done a really good job. Just remember, have faith in those Wisconsin offensive linemen because they tend to work out a lot more than they don't. Trey Hendrickson, that's a great signing the Bengals made last offseason, right? Four years, $60 million. A lot of people scoffed at that signing, but then he came out and had an even better year for the Bengals. Yeah, the dude's just been balling out. He just doesn't look like he should be. He's kind of portly, you know. He doesn't have the longest arms. He's not the best athlete, but he's just a damn good edge rusher. He's- anyone else on this list stand out to you? I mean, I see Marcus Golden in here. That's a sad one to see. But anyone else stand out as a really good contract? Giants don't make this list. I mean, this goes to a lot of what we discussed earlier in the podcast, obviously, where you know they don't have a really high top 51 veteran valuation. don't really have a lot of good veteran. They don't have any great contracts right now. Um, but anyone... That you, uh, I guess so. You probably don't expect to see any Giants in here, but anyone else that stands out? I think if Nick Gates was healthy, he would have made this list. But one other Badger I wanted to bring up, Melvin Gordon, who made the list. He was the last one ranked over honorable mentions: Kevin Zeitler, uh, Tyron Matthew, James Daniels, and Zach Seiler. So Melvin Gordon with his one-year, two-point-five million dollar deal, the uh, PFF feels like he is a really good value there. I like. I still think Gordon's a really good NFL running back, and I think that's why he was re-signed by the Broncos. Obviously, though, he's an older running back. So, all right. So just a reminder for those of you who didn't listen to the last podcast, we want to do an all-time Giants draft with one listener from the Big Blue Banter podcast crew from our from our from our from our uh, lo- most loyalist listeners. So, if you want to join the podcast for a special episode with me and Nick where you'll be drafting an all-time Giants team in a snake draft, picks 1 through 3 with the reverse uh with the the last pick being a reversal. So, you'll get the first pick in the next round. Uh, please do us a favor. Leave us a rating and review on iTunes. If you've done this already, you can literally leave another review. Um, it just just go to the same place you left it first. And if you have Spotify, uh, go ahead and uh, just reach out to us on Twitter and let us know. We're going to do like a raffle for this. But anyone who wants to join the pod and draft with us, an all-time Giants team, just go ahead, leave a rating and review, and leave uh, your username or, or your Twitter or some way we can contact you. So this is the best way we can do it. So otherwise, we'll, have a, we'll, we'll talk to you soon and have a great rest of your week. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.